subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX 10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Shall we get started, then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober. An unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly, authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. So I pissed the bed, blamed it on her and jumped out the window. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Alan's been telling us some of his sexual exploits, one-night stands, before he was married, of course. Or... I was going to say, was that his wedding night? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> so she pissed the bed and then jumped out of the window. Dear, oh, dear. You've I mean, brought a sort of sexy, husky voice to the party here. But... I am a bit sexy and husky today. It's because of the episode. I thought I might get a disease in preparation. How is this... <laughs> Is this herpes? What's this one? No, no, it's not a sexually transmitted one, unfortunately. You have to have sex to get those. It's just a sore throat. So apologies for sounding so irresistible this evening, Hamish. How are you? 
I'm great, thanks. Yeah, I've had I had a fun day yesterday. Uh, if you didn't listen last week, I gave Hamish a free hugs t-shirt and sent him down to the plaza to give out some cuddles to some strangers mm-hmm. as his sober challenge. Well, the weather's been awful, which meant the plaza was full. Oh, yes, packed. So. Yeah, I did it about 10am on a Saturday, which is peak time. Yeah. Firstly, I love it, um, but I found out a lot of things about myself in doing it. I guess the first thing is that I can't remember the last time I stood still without my phone out. Oh, yes. Right. Gosh, that's a bit of an eye-opener. Yes. Just shows you how often we do it. And then consciously made eye contact with every single person that walked past me with no judgment. You know, I was like, everyone's open to a hug. Yeah. I really need to look at people, which takes a bit of effort because you're yeah. inclined to look down yeah. or look at, you know, phone is like a constant block to social interactions. Yeah, for sure. Ignore. Yeah. Um, I found it quite vulnerable in that I, I, in my head, I thought people were looking at me and thinking, is this guy just desperate for connection? Like, yeah. Am I just standing here screaming, love me, this is my free hug t-shirt? They probably think you've just come out of lockdown or something. Just like, please, I need some cuddles. I know these were not sympathy cuddles I was after. I was just after some sort of connection and meeting strangers. But it was it was really beautiful that people came up to me. So nice. I, was, I stood there for exactly an hour. Yep. And I reckon I lost count in about the 30s. Wow. The 30s. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that so many people gave you a hug. Yeah. That is so nice. It was a huge age range. So I had one of the first ladies that came up to me. Some people just wanted a hug because it was funny or they were in a place when they wanted a hug. The first lady that hugged me really wanted to have a chat. She was also sober. I was like, this is amazing. Amazing. Also sober. And she goes, yeah, that I can do. And now what I've done, now now I've conquered booze, is I've given up chocolate. So she hasn't eaten any chocolate in 18 months. Oh, gosh, I need to take a leaf out of that book. I know. I was like, God, booze is easy compared to that. No chocolate (laughs) for 18 months. That's a much bigger achievement. I don't know. I don't know. There's a few boozes out there going, I I think I could give up chocolate quite easily, but booze, I don't know. Um, And the last thing I, I found out about it was that so many children were the ones that wanted to hug you. You know, they, they haven't got so this nice. inhibition. They haven't got this questioning of, oh, what the hell's he about? Yeah. They were not thinking COVID. They're not thinking pervert. They're not yeah. thinking desperate man looking for hugs. They're just like, yeah, I'll give you a hug. That sounds like fun, which is really beautiful. So I think I'm definitely, I need to thank you for this because I think I'm definitely going to do it again. Okay, great. I'm going to always keep it in my backpack because yeah. I'm always early to things. Yeah. And so if I ever turn up early to something, then I'm going to get it on and I'm going to wait and hug people for five, 10 minutes until whoever I'm meant to be meeting turns up. Oh, it sounds like a good idea. And were they tight hugs? Were they really meaningful hugs or were they loose hugs? There were some butt outs. Yeah. There were, but funny enough, what I found is people that were wearing cuddly clothes. There was one woman who was basically wearing a jumper from neck to toe. Yeah. It was one of those long, almost like a nightdress, but jumper material. Yeah. Amazing hug. Right. There was a woman in a who had a dreadlocks with a big hoodie on, who's like a charity hoodie. She was working for a charity. Big hug, big right, okay, connection, nice. eye contact, squeeze hug. So the cosier the clothes, the tighter the hug. If you dress like a hug, you give good hugs. Okay. That's the important takeaway lesson from this one, yeah. Yeah, I am actually might borrow your T-shirt one day and go down there when I'm in need of a hug. I think it's so lovely that you had that sober interaction with people because that's the point, isn't it, that we're trying to make here is look, look, Hamish went out, he hugged people, he had nice conversations and he didn't have a drop of alcohol. He was mm. still extroverted and still outgoing and friendly and he can remember the whole bloody thing and it was nice yes it's really uplifting to hear that Hamish I love it what are we talking about today aside (laughs) from your crazy challenges today Vic we're going to be talking about one night stands 
Hamish and I are both happily married now. I don't want to know too much, Hamish, but I would say we probably both have maybe healthy attitudes to sex now and clear heads when we get down to the naughty business with our beloveds. Yep, I have a strict regime. Once a month, lights off, rubber gloves, ointment ready and missionary for three minutes until the 10 o'clock news. Oh, God. Jeez, Hamish, that sounds disturbing. That's romantic. The rubber gloves. Well, let's at least pretend we still have sex so the younger listeners still have hope and don't lose the will to live. Anyway, today we're chatting about the old pump and dump, the toot it and boot it, the smash it and dash, the in and out, shake it all about, the one night stand. You really enjoyed writing those bits, didn't you? I did, Dale. I, I love making up rude words. It's like my favourite pastime. <laughs> the one night stand, it seems harmless, right? A coming of age practice in which we learn about our sexual needs and likes. But how do they really make us feel, especially when booze is involved? Is sleeping with someone when under the influence bad for your physical and mental health, Vic? Would it be better if alcohol was not involved at all when we engage in a game of tummy sticks with a stranger? Tummy sticks. Now, we don't want to be killjoys, of course. We are not the sex police, although I wasn't last time I looked. What we want to get across today is making sure you do fiddle with each other with a clear head and do sexy time for the right reasons. When I look back at my past, I do wonder why I found it necessary to sleep with another human just because they'd lassoed me on a dance floor. For some weird reason, when pissed, I felt it was my duty to give my body away. If someone showed an interest in me, it was like payment for someone giving me attention. It sounds fucked up, Hamish, but it's true. Since getting sober, I feel some shame about my promiscuity and kind of sad that I treated myself in that way because I never really enjoyed these sweaty rendezvous. They always felt kind of dirty and unfulfilled. I think this topic's so different for men and women, but I also feel like I lost control of my ambitions when on a night out, and this led me into doing things drunk I would never really have done sober. Oh. I always just laughed off any cheeky fumblings because it seemed like everyone around me was doing the same thing. It was just part of growing up and learning about sex. Yeah, I definitely think it's part of coming of age. But when alcohol is involved, we tend to shove all our smart decision-making in our back pockets and go with the flow. And sometimes that casual flow isn't about happily ticking off notches on your bedpost. It can actually leave you feeling empty and full of regret. So today we're going to tell you about some of our flippant one-night liaisons, how they made us feel at the time, and found out if there's a better way to meet and consensually (laughs) caress other humans when booze is off the sexy menu. Yep, it's a sober, awkward guide to not feeling like shit every time you sleep with someone and it involves, guess what, Hamish? Orgies and butt plugs. No. Being sober, of course. So today, if you're planning a one-nighter, we want to help you experience real connection. Walk away knowing what you did was for fun and for the right reasons. We want you to learn from our awful stories and respect your body for what it is. A beautiful temple of squishy, sensual loviness. If you want to change the chemistry you have with your sexual partner, then keep listening. I really think we underestimate how much booze causes us to miss out on authentic interactions. So I'm so interested in this one, Vic. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the male perspective as well, Hamish. First of all, for those of you who have not done it, hello Bernard from Stockton on Tees, we would like to tell you what a one night stand is. On Wikipedia it says this, which I have to admit, even as a serial one night stander in my past, it was a total shock. A one-night stand is a single sexual encounter in which there is an expectation that there shall be no further relations between the sexual participants. This practice can be described as sexual activity without emotional commitment or future involvement. I think this episode, Hamish, we're going to discover what a deluded tool I am. (laughs) 
Because I always thought of it as the beginning of a romance. I don't know whether that's a female thing. I always hoped, and I'm cringing now when I looked it up online, I was I was sort of blushing. Before we discover my sordid past, I'd love to hear your history of One Night Stands, Hame. Oh, gosh, here we go. So I've actually never been prolific with ladies. I'm surprised. I'm flattered. My nickname at uni was No Game Hame. <laughs> Which I tried to shake off. I tried to change it into a game hame. That did not really take in the way I hoped. Lame hame, yeah, it's got a few negative connotations. So yeah, I think girls got on with me and then I would eventually talk them out of it. (laughs) I was never good at knowing when to kiss. That was a big thing for me. I I know we'd get on well, but we're talking... Do I just lunge or do I ask the question? That was oh, that was my downfall. Can I kiss you? Is that what you want to say? Yeah. Oh, there's something quite cringy about that. I know. But I the lunge it. is sometimes quite attractive. Like, I don't mind the lunge occasionally. But of course, if it's someone you don't like, then there's nothing worse than yeah. someone lunging at you with horrible wet lips. Exactly. Well, particularly if you're sober. Yeah. So it's much easier to do drunk that, which is probably the, the crux of the issue. Yes. Um, so yeah, just before my first relationship, so in my late teens and early 20s, or in between my relationships, was when my one night stand happened. Okay, so I was yes. very young or I was in between two serious things. Yes. Um, which is, I guess, good to hear. I didn't do them during my relationships. Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm pleased. <laughs> uh, and I never really went on a date that turned into a one night stand. Uh, mine always came from like nights out or in situations which were more conducive to one night stands, like a holiday, a music festival. I did like a tantric meditation workshop. They were like safe spaces for one night stands to okay, happen. Yeah. I couldn't sit down, have a meal with someone, reach a level of connection through that and then treat them as one night stands. OK, so you are quite emotional in that sense where you, you if you gain a connection with someone, you can't do a sort of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, yeah. because it feels unkind almost yes okay. uh, so that's what I thought oh that's nice Hamish. it's nice to know people like you around well also I was living at home with my parents so not easy to oh, do so you one can night take someone yeah. home with you yeah no they, it would be bad news for them um, so typically there were never I didn't have many of these but right, typically they were never really with someone that I was hugely attracted to Otherwise, I would have pursued them and either put them into the friend zone or dated them for five years. Those are those are my two avenues. <laughs> That's usually. the option. Friend zone, or I'll date you for ages and ages. Yeah, and those are those are the only two things I know. The one night stands in my in my life tend to happen when I was searching for something, when I was a little bit lost. So in my early twenties, I'd slept with far fewer women than the rest of my friends. So I guess I was looking to increase my numbers for social clout. Um, yeah. And actually, I remember going to uni. I was like, uni, this is when it happens. This is it, yeah. First week of uni, one night stand. I yeah. was like, here we go. The ball is rolling. I'm going to be a complete player. At Freshers Week, they pretty much give you a pass to the venereal clinic, don't they? Yeah. They all introduce you and say, like, this is where you meet up for beers after <laughs> after a day at uni. This is where you go to your lectures. And the SCI clinic yeah. is just down the road on the left, yeah. just so you know. But for me, having the first week, I thought, here we go. And then nothing at all until the last week of the first year. You're joking. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. Six months travelling my gap year. Nothing. Nothing. Nearly a year, Hamish. At university without a one night stand. I think I've gone a year once or twice since my virginity. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no game home. That is blessed. I don't want that nickname to still be around when I'm living in Australia. Okay, That's you, an England you prefer, thing. You prefer the sober gimp, do you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the sober gimp's my safe space. Um, and I, I can't remember a lot about those experiences. You know, All of them happened when I was drunk, so the sex itself wasn't memorable. Um, and I'm sure I can speak for them as well in saying that. That's not just <laughs> yes, me. Yeah. For the most part, the reason that I would do them would be because I'm either looking for something or I'm lost or I was heartbroken or... 
it was for a story. I was like, okay, these mm. often dates, good and bad, or one night stands, good and bad, are good stories. Always. The issue is, is the story worth the feeling afterwards, which is a little bit empty or still a little bit heartbroken or still not a complete player? Yeah. You know? So that was that's the payoff. So what you're saying is you were never really fulfilled. You never walked away from one night stand going, that was the best thing I've ever done. I feel better and stronger and more amazing and fulfilled as a human being. I reckon only for a few hours. Yeah. The morning after walking home feeling great. While you're still drunk. Yeah. And then you're home alone that night, cuddle up in bed and yeah, reality kicks in and just another person I didn't connect with very deeply. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cuddling that same teddy from your childhood and exactly. crying in your Best head. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, my stories are very similar. I mean, I did it more than you when I was travelling. was like this huge... I mean, I travelled for 10 years on my own around the world, so I had sort of carte blanche to do whatever I wanted for a very, very long period of time. And everybody I knew slept around. When I was at uni, all the girls, we were all so promiscuous. It was kind of that meet at the pub for next day, the next day. They wanted a story from me, and I always managed to have one. And it might have been like I'd been out all night. It wasn't my aim at the beginning of the night to go and find some human that I could fornicate with. But by the end of the night, all of my mates are pissed off with you Usually they're boyfriends. I never had boyfriends. I was just like kind of one night stand material because I was so drunk. No one ever wanted to go out with me. So mine would literally be, as I said before, like lassoing someone on the dance floor and saying, right, you're coming back to mine. So my whole life, in especially between 20 and 34, I would say, was my time for getting down with the dirty, I would call it. It's weird that travelling is one night stand time, isn't it? Like Travelling is when all of this seems to happen more so than when you're when you're at your own home you act in a very different way to when yeah. you're traveling well because there were no consequences mm. i could do whatever i like and really not feel too much shame or guilt because if i didn't like them i didn't have to deal with the situation the next day i could just pack my bag and run out the front door or jump out the window like alan did there was no repercussions from my behavior if it was awful and the guy was weird i could just leave and go to the next town yeah. which I did a lot, yeah, as you can imagine. But I did have some good stories. I've got my amazing diaries from those times, which is every other page is some awful interaction I had with some weirdo. <laughs> and often holidays for me were like these big sex romps. You know, I went to Greece where it was pound a pint or free shots for the girls. Those places were insidious for one night stands. It was kind of expected. I'll tell you a very quick, horrible story. There was this area of the beach in Crete in Malia where people just have sex on the sunbeds and there was the sex police that would go round. They were actually nighttime policemen with a whistle and if you were like bonking someone on a sunbed, the policeman would come up and blow a whistle really loudly in your ear and you'd sort of have to move on. It was really horrible. I mean, those are the sort of situations I got myself in. The next day, I would have my mates all laughing around the breakfast table thinking it was absolutely the best story they'd ever heard. And for me, that was the satisfaction it wasn't the sex it was the story just like you Hamish and when I was traveling I sort of was a bit clueless and sort of kidded myself that what I was doing was like a feminist trait that I was being strong and I was using men and I was like this strong powerful feminist women whereas in fact I realized now that I was kind of giving myself away um, and thinking that I owed people something for liking me, which is what I talked about at the beginning, which is a really fucked up, messed up way of thinking about things. I was never always safe. I always put the needs of the man before mine, which is 
is crazy. I remember once, I can't remember where I was, I was in some weird hotel in Bangkok and I'd slept with the father of one of my mates that was backpacking. <laughs> what? Yes. How did you figure it out? All I'm going to say, Hamish, is suck my lollipop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is the words that he said to me when I did a runner. Oh I was like, have you got any lollipops? <laughs> I love lollipops. <laughs> I mean, that was, that's how drunk I was. I found the father of one of my mates attractive enough to sleep yeah. with him. I hope my mum's not listening to this, or my husband, actually. <laughs> or that friend. Or that friend, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> yeah, so it was really messy, really unfulfilling, I realised afterward that I'd kind of given myself away, as I said. It was almost almost like a financial exchange of, of emotion. It's a very mm. different thing. I'm not actually giving someone money. I was giving them my body mm. in return for their interest in me, which is so fucked up. I really hate it about myself. But, you know, I live and learn, and I'm here to tell you these stories for a reason. It's like, don't do these things because they make you feel shit. I must say, I just watched a brilliant series on Binge, which was called I May Destroy You. Brilliant. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. oh, it's so good. And it covers all of this, this sort of sexual consent and, and what, what comes into play when one of the people that you are pairing up with is drunk and the repercussions of that. And men taking off condoms midway mm. through a sexual experience, which has other risks, exactly. Men should watch this too. It's an amazing series. And so afterwards... I think we've come to the conclusion here, Hamish, that we both felt a bit weird. How did one stands make you feel afterwards? Well, like I said, I, most of them happened when I was pretty lost. So when I was 27, I went through this breakup. I've been with a girl for five and a half years yeah. and went through this breakup. And it was, it was the hardest thing that I'd ever experienced in my life to that point. And it completely changed my life. You know, I, I never would have moved to Australia without it. I don't mm. think I'd be anywhere near as emotional than I am now. Mm -hmm. I certainly wasn't a crier before and now, now I am. Um, so I think that I was very lost then and I didn't feel comfortable enough to go on dates with people. I did. I feel like in a way that was somehow cheating even though I wasn't together anymore. Um, and I wasn't anywhere near ready to be in a relationship with someone. So I suppose one night stands was my only card remaining. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, you know, it took me ages to sort of sleep with anyone but eventually one night stands was, was the card that I could play. Rather than fill the gap of no longer having a connection with someone that you're in a relationship with, they sort of reminded me what I no longer had. You know, they would be... Oh, that's sad. You you have sex with someone and you weirdly are thinking, oh, it's just not, it's not the same. It's not the same person. Mm. I don't feel anything for this person. It was just very uncomfortable for me. And like I said, they were always very transactional. It was always... Yeah, same, yeah. It's always like an, like an agreement, isn't it? It's like an agreement. We're going to do this. We're never going to see each other again. And actually, that's not a fun agreement, is it? It's like, oh, we're going to do this, but then it's going to be over and we'll never see each other again. And it's like this kind of dead end, isn't mm. it? It's quite horrible. And what I struggled with was the intimacy, the intimacy of it, but not the sex. The sex is whatever. It was yeah. then spending the night there. I never would sleep. I could yes. never sleep like, yeah. in a bed with someone or yeah. being cuddled. Or I wasn't really. I don't really cuddle when I'm asleep, but being cuddled and being in someone's bedroom that, don't that is what I struggled with yeah. more so than the actual doing the deed yeah and even kissing and stuff it feels quite intimate on those nights doesn't it because you don't really know the person and it's quite it is quite intimate kissing or snogging someone 
I guess when booze is involved, you're just so out of it. You're just like, yeah, let's do this. And it's all like this horrible, messy situation. I always felt disappointed when the person never called me again. Mm. This is why I think it's a bit different from men and women. Like for you, you knew what the situation was. You knew you were going in there to have sex with someone and you knew you probably wouldn't see them again. But for me, you know, I didn't feel that. I thought, gosh, well, this is the start of something. I always felt like I liked that person. And this is, even though I was drunk, I still went in there with a hope and afterwards I used to feel quite violated and shame like it was my fault and now I had to deal with the fact that that person hasn't liked me enough to stay with me they've gone and they've you know disappeared and now I'm here you know holding my bed sheets up to my chin feeling empty and sad um and I kind of gave these men a gift for no reason I gave them the gift of my body whereas in fact I wasn't getting anything in return and I wasn't educated into why one night stand might make me feel like that I just thought it was normal but then that hole I I basically created a hole inside myself by having these, this terrible promiscuity growing up because the more I did it, the bigger kind of hole developed in my heart. Hamish, sounds a bit deep, mm. but the more I did it, the more I did it. <laughs> it sounds strange. It was like a vicious circle. I kept looking for something or looking for someone, hoping one of the men might stay, which meant I did it more, which meant I felt worse. Well, I mean, my standards went down with each turn because I just became more desperate to find love. And really, that's what I was doing. It wasn't about sex or one night stands. It was me navigating this world, trying to find someone that loved me. And that was what I was looking for. So the the gape in my heart got bigger and bigger and the void was never filled. And eventually it was just alcohol that was filling that. So every one night stand was actually more of a rejection yeah. than a acceptance. Everyone that didn't call you back was another one. He's not interested enough to it, it was do it a, twice. Exactly. It was another person. I mean, I remember one guy saying to, came, coming up to me in a club and saying, hey, should you go back to mine? Don't worry. I always have sex with people twice. And I was like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, I went back to his house, had sex with him. He never called me again. And I was like, but he promised me he'd have sex oh with me again. Gosh. Like, that's how mental I was. Yeah. It's really sad. It's really terrible. And I know a lot of people do it. And it's very socially acceptable to have a one night stand. But for me, it wasn't as simple as that. There was much thicker layers to it, you know, going deep down into my core. It seems, Hamish, we've both had a fair share of one-night stands and the consensus generally between us here is that they were occasionally okay, sometimes remorseful and always pretty unsatisfying. This might not be the case for everyone all the time. We only speak from our own knowledge. But it does seem when alcohol is involved, the sexual experience is not as good or as gratifying as it could be. A big part of overboozing for men is brewer's droop, a floppy ding-dong when it's supposed to be ready for action. Have you ever heard of pilly-willy, Vic? Pilly-willy, no. What is that? Yeah, I think if people don't know what brewer's droop is, which is what you can imagine, you, your gentleman doesn't stand to attention because of the alcohol, <laughs> pilly-willy is similar behaviour from your codpiece from ecstasy. Oh, God, pilly-willy. That is the best. God, so what's the science behind this? Alcohol actually reduces the sexual sensitivity, Hamish. So that makes sense with the pilly willy and the brewer's droop. So even though sex might seem more adventurous, like bonking on the kitchen counter or doggy styling on the balcony, it might not feel so good. I do have a good story about doggy styling on the balcony. Oh, God. I actually have doggy styling on the balcony to thank 
for eventually moving in with my wife. Okay. Oh gosh, it's a romantic story. No, it's not me. It's not me or her. But she was living in a share house in Sydney yeah. and I was sort of crashing at hers whilst looking for my own place. And it was Father's Day. So she said to her housemate, look, my dad's staying tonight. So I'm going to sleep in your bed. You can sleep in mine. Yeah. Or my dad will sleep in mine. So if you do come back with a guy, can you just like go to his house or let me know and I'll sleep on the sofa? She goes to sleep. She gets woken up by a housemate who's brought a guy back. So she goes, okay, can you like have sex in the living room or like, I'll go to the sofa can you just like keep it down anyway they start having sex in the living room so Liz comes out guys shh, my dad's in that room can you not do it here mm-hmm. okay fine so they go have sex in the kitchen and Liz is literally chasing them around the flat clapping yeah. her hands like, like guys get off her, 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 her. her don't do it my dad's, my dad's asleep stop doing it stop doing it then they went out onto the balcony now Liz's room had a French window opening onto the balcony yeah. so they're having sex two three metres away from the dad on the balcony and, and Liz is losing it, completely losing it. But yeah, the dad said the next morning he didn't hear a thing. Anyway, when Liz went into the kitchen the following morning, her tub of coconut oil was open <laughs> with a huge finger mark taken out in the middle of it. <laughs> Liz came into the home, I'm moving out, let's find a place together. <laughs> the coconut oil incident. The coconut oil. Oh, so, God. you know, not it's not all sex on the balcony is not all bad news in my no, life story. No, exactly. Yeah. So if you're not having sex on the balcony and your old man isn't working properly and you're experiencing droopy, inebriated knob syndrome, dicks for short. Do you like that? It's brilliant. Thank you. Alcohol depresses the central nervous system, which means it can make it more difficult for some men to get it up or keep it up or have an erection. Drinking may also prevent a delay in orgasm. Drinking heavily over an extended period can even turn a temporary condition into a longer term impotence. Never had a problem with delayed orgasms, Vic. Oh, lovely. I'm I'm glad to know that. (laughs) Despite my prayers. Yeah. Like men, women may find it more difficult to have an orgasm or find they have orgasms that are less intense after drinking alcohol. Also, there is the fact that you may be having sex with someone you don't know very well. Buying someone a shot of absinthe and then snogging them in a taxi is not as deep a connection as it may feel. So if you don't feel love, only lust, the sex might not feel as nice. It's funny, you bring back some memories about me doing shots of absinthe and snogging men in taxis there. Because I thought that was connection and that's where I was going wrong. I felt that was a real showing of love. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm an old romantic, I think, really, aren't I? No connection starts with absinthe. It doesn't, does it? (laughs) No. No good story starts with a salad is one of the famous saying, isn't it? (laughs) So scientifically, sex will not be as good after imbibing 10 beers, which makes sense if you can't walk straight, your willy might be wonky too, Hamish. How do you know about my wonky willy? I know a lot of stuff about you now over this podcast, (laughs) don't I? Wonky willies, all sorts of things. (laughs) What about the danger and the risk involved when having a one-night stand home? What do you reckon? Well, since drinking alcohol reduces inhibitions and impairs judgment, it's a common factor leading to unprotected sex, which in turn may result in unplanned pregnancy or sexually transmitted infections. Then you've got all sorts of itches and problems to worry about. Yes, a bout of crotch crickets or body pox <laughs> might be a consequence that you do not want to deal with in the weeks after a dirty downstairs disco. Body pox. I've gone crazy with my little sayings today, <laughs> Hamish. I hope you don't mind. You're making up STDs. I am, yeah. <laughs> what an afternoon. Well, I think I've had a few of, of those. So, yeah, I am not making them up. <laughs> we must mention here, alcohol is not only connected with domestic violence, of course, 73% of reported cases. But it's also linked to cases of sexual assault on one-night stands. 
I know for me personally that I trusted people too quickly in those situations because I was inebriated. And this led me to putting myself in danger quite often. In the end, if I didn't quit drinking, I thought probably something bad would happen to me. There's a famous, not a famous story, but a story that I've told in another podcast, Hamish, where I was in Byron Bay for a night and I got row hypnolled and dragged off um, up the beach by a guy with a cross tattooed on his head. What? Uh, yeah, it's a terrible story. And it was due to me being inebriated and probably the perpetrator knowing that I was vulnerable in that situation. Mm. I was the victim in that situation, of course, because I had no control over somebody spiking my drink. But I think there is part of me also that accepts that the situations I put myself in were often quite risky. You were easy pickings because you were the drunkest person beforehand. Yeah, and it shouldn't be that way. Of course, you should be safe if you're going out drinking with your mates, but that's not always the case because there are people out there who are are wanting, are actually looking for people like me. I imagine one-night stands are very different for men, Hamish. What can you tell us? Well, I can't speak for all men, although I think I was generally careful with regards to protection. With that being said, if any of the girls who were total strangers to me had told me that I didn't need to wear a condom, that everything was all good, I'm sure I would have been drunk enough in every situation to whip it off yeah you know, it's scary isn't it it's frightening and actually I don't know a single man who wouldn't have done a similar thing in the same position you know yeah. these are strangers at the end of the day yeah who knows why anyone would lie about that but who you know that happens it um, must be a people pleasing thing there even if somebody's even in that moment even when you're really under the influence and really hammered you're still trying to give your best self sexually as well so therefore like yeah fuck it anything goes let's just do this and all of your inhibitions are gone, so therefore you're not thinking straight and you mm. allow yourself to do things you would never normally do. And I think that's particularly true for men because I think, particularly in our teenage years, in our 20s, this is certainly true for me, I think if you're a lady on a night out and you want to have a one-night stand, you can probably have a one-night stand. Yep. You can probably ask every man in the room and 99% of them would say yes. Would say yes. yes. Yeah. Very different for a man or for me, certainly, is... You're just happy to be involved. If somebody, if somebody yeah. wants to have sex with you, <laughs> yeah. you're thrilled. Yeah, you know? I'm in. Cool. I'm, I'm chuffed to bits. So, you know, not thinking about the consequences so much. You're yeah. just caught in a, oh, my God, I'm 17 and massively hormonal and someone wants to have sex with me. Yippee. Yeah. It's funny. So true. So what's the difference between having a one-night stand sober and having one drunk? Well, one of the first things is that you meet someone with a clear head and a right state of mind. You're also the genuine you which is we go on a lot about this podcast as being the genuine you. You're able to make wise choices and you don't need to question your actions. It'll feel nicer if you do choose to do it on the first date as well. None of those saggy willies. Dicks. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, no dicks, D-I-K-S. You have rules and you have boundaries. These are so important. You won't have any regrets. You keep your power. You will probably use protection and make sure mates know where you are when you do head off with someone as well. Yeah, so you're safe in more ways than one. You're sexually safe and people know where you are. That's a really important one for people going out and drinking. Always have mates. That night when I got dragged down the beach, Hamish, by this total mm. loon, my mates noticed I was missing. And just as something really bad was about to happen, I felt a tug on the back of my collar and they lifted me off him and carried me over their shoulder in a fireman's lift back to our backpacker's place. Oh, yeah, I so didn't want to ask. Mates, I'm yeah, glad no, that. it was and my mates that ending. saved the day, but it was the closest I've ever been to anything really, really destructive happening yeah. like that. You'll feel the feels. You can look in the eyes. You won't be cringing. You'll probably remember it. You know, Generally, you're going to have a better sexual experience. I mean, I still cringe a bit when I look in my husband's eyes, quite yeah, honestly. That's true, yeah. <laughs> I sort of find myself looking at the telly. Uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 10 o'clock news. <laughs> yeah, 10 o'clock news. 
You can change it here. You can be more about your satisfaction than your partner's. Think about yourself. Like, I never thought about myself in those situations. I just abandoned my body and gave myself away. But now I'm sober. I think about myself and my own needs and what I want in a sexual situation. And it makes for a much better experience. Yeah. And it's much more attractive, I think, if someone with that sort of confidence. And... Yeah. I'm like, get the whip out now. <laughs> Turn ITV off. Get the 10 o'clock news on BBC on. <laughs> yeah. Pass me the controller. <laughs> Trevor McDonald, Trevor McDonald. <laughs> it's also a better chance of it happening again. You know, if you're not your droopy, drunk, slobbering self, there's a better chance you probably will get a second or third or maybe even a relationship out of it. Yeah, I might phone up that guy that still owes me that second shag, actually. Yeah, he's probably looking for your number. Yeah, he probably yeah, is. I'm a man of my word. It's been 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, here I am. I'll, I'll search him up on Facebook. Do you remember me? <laughs> So we've discovered having one night stands when wasted won't be as good when you're sober. Your beer goggles will be steamed up and your standards will lower. You might do some things you'll regret. We understand the thought of one night stands sober is really confronting. So meet someone in the morning for a coffee first. Find commonalities and connection. Create anticipation and build from that. I mean, there's nothing nicer than being genuinely excited about having sex with someone. It gives you an amazing feeling when it actually happens. I think it'd be a much nicer interaction with much less droopiness, quite honestly, Hamish. Getting to know someone and doing it sober will be much more satisfying and means you care about yourself and your body enough to wait and make sure it's right. We're not saying you don't have one-night stands. If they're consensual and sober, then bonk away to your heart's delight. Just make sure it's your choice. Looking back, do you regret being drunk on one-night stands, Ham? Yes and no. Hmm. I tried to not live with too many regrets. You know, at the time, that was all I knew. And that was just the ways that the way that things played out. Yeah. I ended up meeting the perfect person for me. So I don't feel a sense of what if, you know, with any of the women that came and went, I never think, oh, no, maybe one of them was the perfect woman. Maybe I should have married one of them. Hmm. So I don't have that regret. I'm not anti one night stands. I mean, absolutely go for it. Have fun. But as someone who did the majority of mine drunk, it's a shame that I can remember so little of them. You know, what's the point of a great experience or a fun story that you can't even remember? Yeah. My men were like koalas, eat shoots and leaves. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> I missed out on dating and learning about sex, Hamish. My wham, bam, thank you, man, people-pleasing ways led me to not care about myself. And if I could go back in time, I would tell myself to take more care. Don't abandon your body for the satisfaction of someone else. Be present and don't drink. You are enough and you are better than this. I would literally grab my sh- shoulders if I could go back in time and say, come on, stop this behaviour, it's stupid. But I hope my woeful experience will help others contemplate before they fornicate. You also know all koalas have chlamydia. Oh, do I? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that a koala thing? They have chlamydia. I'm sure there's a big chlamydia. I think I gave it to them. <laughs> <laughs> when you said my memory all koalas, I thought, they all have chlamydia? <laughs> Every one night stand? It's a rumour. It's a rumour. It's just one particular koala in Sydney that gave all the rest of the koalas chlamydia. So the book, what's the book, Hamish? Yes, this is an absolute gem. So I think we've both read it and we've both recently watched the TV series of it. So it is Everything I Know About Love by Dolly Alterton. There are a few moments in this book that could have been me talking, Hamish. In the end, I do believe my promiscuity was down to the pain from my past that couldn't be filled like that void as I was talking about. And throwing booze down my neck and sleeping around was me kind of trying to fix myself. This quote sums up my sex life. It's from Dolly Alderton's book. Maybe you just have an unfillable void, he said with a gentle sigh. Maybe no man will ever be able to fill it. Yep, so there you go. 
<laughs> What's sad? Isn't it? It's really sad, yeah. isn't it? But it was true. That was that was how I felt. I was always searching for the one, for the love, and eventually I met him. So there's a happy there's a happy ending, yeah. not that sort of so happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm off out of here. Why are you in such a rush? It's rubber glove night. Oh God. <laughs> If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yeah, just head to www.cupper.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it, and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Hamish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know. Just write it on Nurses, we just want to thank you for everything you do. We are ShiftKey.com. Log on today and connect to open PRN shifts in your area. Work when you want, where you want. You can even get paid next day. ShiftKey.com. Start today. Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hold up. 
So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody what? sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes, good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. Yeah. You can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry and cringe and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book, even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny-weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. 